Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Judith Fallon-Reed and welcome to Shelf Life TV, where I have great conversations with Caribbean authors about their lives and books. If you have yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonreed.com. Also, check out my other podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now it's time to share what's on my shelf. Thank you for joining me on jamaicans.com for another episode of Shelf Life. Go ahead, press like, drop a comment, and do share it with a friend. It's going to be fun. My guest today is Dr. Shernet Grant. She's a former school principal, a district leader, and the founder of Unorthodox Leadership Consulting. She focuses her work mainly on developing leaders who are agile and dynamic enough in their thinking to embrace unconventional approaches to leadership. Her book is Unorthodox Leadership, a guide to leading real people in real organizations. You're gonna learn some stuff. Join us. Charnet, 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 so good to see you. Uh, welcome to Shelf Life. Thank you, Judith. It's a pleasure being here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, anytime. Boy, you have a, a little book there. It's a small book, but it packs a big punch. And I see it behind you. Thanks for having me on the shelf. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And that was the intent. Yes, my shelf life is all about what's on my shelf. <laughs> so your book is very much on my shelf. There you go. But before we get to talking about the book, let's talk a little bit about you. Because Dr. Shernet Grant, people know your name, know what you do. A lot of people do anyway. Um, but let's get to know you a little bit. Where in Jamaica are you from? Tell me a little bit about growing up. Right. I don't know if a lot of people know about me now. So you're taking it a little too far. But well, it depends on where you are. It okay. depends on where I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> when the people from Mackenzie, St. Anne, tune in, they'll know all about me. Let's put it that way. Where's Mackenzie, St. Anne? Mackenzie District is in um, the hills of St. Anne when you go to Brownstown and okay. you go to the hills, Alexandria, okay. Hay Valley people will be familiar with this term, Abuka. That's where I'm from. I'm way oh. up in the hills. We don't get flood because we're so far up, the rain goes down. Uh, uh, except for Cave Valley now. Well, but see, we're also above K Valley. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. When you go to K Valley, you still have to keep climbing to get where get from, get to where I'm I'm from, right? So that's I, where I'm from. I was born and raised there. I went to a little Olive school called a Booker Olive for about four years. Then I went to Linstead and I actually spent one year there. That's where I passed my common entrance. My common okay. entrance back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. I passed my common entrance from Linstead Olive, went to St. Diego High School in Spanish Stone. Okay. And from St. Diego, I did um, CAST. So I actually graduated from University of uh, Technology. CAST. <laughs> then it was the College of Arts, Science, and Technology where I, I did medical technologist. That's what I studied. And then I worked a little bit in a lab um, in Montego Bay at the Cornwall Regional Hospital for a short stint of time. And from there, I migrated to the U.S. to come study. So that's kind of, you know, where I started came here thinking that I was going to be studying medical technologists, which I did for four years, finished the four years, Judith, and come to find out 
I didn't qualify to get certified. Because of the differences in rules between the Caribbean mm -hmm. and Florida. You know how those nuances that sometimes you don't think about? Apparently, I didn't have enough years of experience. It's so all a money-making thing. Listen, girl, you know this. So I ended up finishing my whole, did my bachelor's. Didn't know this because it was actually an academic advisor who told me that if I did a bachelor's in biology, because I had a background and a diploma already in med tech, that I could get certified. Finished, tried to get certified didn't have enough years of experience. So you're solving one problem and you're creating another problem. Mm -hmm. So in my desperation, Miss Judith, after I think I, I talked with my ex-husband, I keep giving him credit for it, who said to me, go teach. You know, when he said that, was, you. I looked at him like he was crazy. <laughs> teach? Are you kidding me? So fast forward, I did. I did. I went to go teach and I taught biology at a high school here, you know, in Florida. And the rest of my story, I can keep going you know, I ended up being an assistant principal in the system. I was a, a magnet coordinator and an assistant principal and a principal. Now I'm the director of magnet programs. People are more familiar with the term magnet programs. Yes. Um, so I'm the director of magnet programs at Broward County Public Schools. So that's kind of like my history in a little bit of a nutshell. Right. You know, I can tell you all of the in-between barriers, but, you know, that's a, that's a two-day story. That's not a typical <laughs> conversation. You have to draw a long bench for that. We don't have a long, long bench today. today. When you say unorthodox leadership, you're talking me. You're talking right up my street because I don't think there's anything that I have ever done that could be considered orthodox. <laughs> and I, I teach leadership as well, but I teach it from different eras. I teach things like the art of thinking, um, stuff like that, just totally different ideas within the context of leadership. And so I found your book very interesting. I found it very enlightening. I found that it packs a real punch and you, you're very practical about the things that you talk about in the book. And you talk about bridging the gap between theory and practice. Explain that, expound a little bit on that. So Judith, we all went to school, right? You just call me Dr. Sharon a while ago because all of us have doctorates, right? We all have the degrees, we do the study, you go to college, they teach you all the theory about all these amazing things, right? And then you get on the job and you realize that, what? How do, I, how do I make this come to life, right? We have a tendency, especially in the leadership realm, to try to associate ourselves with one particular theory of leadership. You know, here us be very proud. We're just a badge of honor. We're an unorthodox. We're a, a, a transformational leader. We're a transactional leader. We're a servant leader. Well, Judith, just like you just said, you could have probably wrote, written this book as well. On any given day, you might need to go between transformational, transactional, servant, you, you might need to go between any one of those leadership theories on any given day. Yes. The unorthodox leadership approach is exactly what you just described, Judith. There is no right or wrong when it comes to how do you tackle issues around leading people and leadership in of itself, right? Because on any given day, you might need to use a different approach, right? So that's what the unorthodox leadership approach is. that agility you mentioned, you teach mm -hmm. people part of thinking. How yeah. do you exercise those agile, you know, flexible thinking and action to get these things done is what it's all about. And how do you, how do you recognize and te on, how do you untrain yourself? And I have to say it that way because I have done quite a bit of corporate training, teaching leadership and different things. And when you talk to people who have been in leadership roles for a long time, a lot of them, as you say, they have this this idea that it's this way. How do you untrain yourself? And that is part of some of what you do, is you untrain people. 
to untrain people, Judith. And yes. you know what's so funny? It's easy. Because when you talk to people, you recognize that if it's not working, don't you think it's time for you to think about something different, right? And in the role of leadership, every single one of us can identify that moment in time when it's not working. Not working. I work hard. I do all the right things. I say all the right things. The book tells me to do this. I follow the steps. I follow the steps. But what does that look like in practice? Because on any given day, if you, if you, Judith, has ever been over an organization where all the people were lockstep and did everything you asked them to do, can I please have your job? Because <laughs> I, I always tell people that it's not a negative by virtue of this world being so amazing and diverse and yeah. people coming to the table with different skills and different mindsets and different thinking. But as leaders, we have to allow for that to be a positive, not a negative. And you just said something which brings me to one of my talking points here is mm-hmm. getting to know the people. So in old days, you never really had to know the people that, you, that you're that you leading, you know. You just had to tell them what to do. But this is a whole new world here. Mm-hmm. And it's important to get to know the people. Because as you say, there people are not in lockstep. Those days are over. Those days people are over. Are individuals. Right. And so you have to get to know them to be able to lead them and to treat and- them as individuals. Treat them as individuals. One of the things that as leaders, um, we're all guilty at some point in time. You know, we love to say, when you come through the door, you leave your problems outside the door. You leave your personal problems back there because you're here to do a job. Hello. It's not possible. We have to think, and that's what I talk about in the book also, Judith, is the idea that as leaders, we have to think about our people as a combination of their personal and their professional attributes. Yes. Right? So when you're dealing with someone, you're not going to get the best professionally about them if they're not at their best personally, right? right? And there's a balance because, of course, a part of managing people and understanding how to navigate them is to not be feeding too much into some of what you know is is, is dysfunctional right. and some of what you know is, is going against what you need to have happening. But it's understanding that we are a combination of our personal attributes and some of those personal attributes actually help us to be better on the job. Right. How do you help people also to recognize that? Help them to recognize where the not so good things are also and how the not so good things are impeding the work. Right. right? So we have to think about the people and I would say it's cliche. We don't lead things, we lead people. We lead people. But there's nothing ever so true, Judith. Like there's, there's no truer statement that we do not lead things, we lead people. And if you're going to lead people, you have to get to know them. You have to you get have to, to know them. them tick. You have to know what their strong points are. You have to know what is not worth really trying to get them to work on, because that's another thing. Everybody has to be able to do the same level of work. And, and what battles to fight. You know, I, I have been fortunate in that I had, I've had some good managers over my my lifetime of working for other people, which I haven't done in a long time. But right. I had one particular manager named Melody who I'll never, ever forget. And she's my friend to this day. Uh-huh. And part of the reason why she has, she's unforgettable was that every person in her department was an individual. She knew each of us. She knew how to talk to each individual to get the best out of them. She knew that the last thing you would do to me is yell at me. That just would never work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's never going to get anything out of you yeah and I remember having this conversation one time she was like she's such a good worker so now we just have to work on attitude 
And I said, you know, attitude or efficiency, you got to pick one. <laughs> and, and she was like, okay, I'll take efficiency. And, you know, of course, because she was able to, to wheel and come with me, my oh. whole attitude changed. Changed. Because, yeah, because she wasn't trying to browbeat it. So, yes, it's important. And you talk also about managing teams. And mm. it's important that people understand that a team is not a group. No. So no. talk to me about managing teams. Some of the tips that you give people in your book about managing teams. Very important. And you said the key word. A lot of times we get a, a bunch of people together and we say, oh, we have a team. No, we don't have a team because sometimes they're all working on a different agenda, different mm-hmm. things. Their, uh, their skill sets don't complement each other. They're not working in concert. And we call it the team. And you wonder why the team does not get anything done <laughs> because everybody's on a different tangent, right? And the tangent at no point is, is coming together. So in terms of managing teams, again, it goes back to the individuals on the team, right? People, it's hard to manage people, Judith, especially adults. Very right? hard. We come to the table with our own mindset. We come to the table with our own thoughts, our own ideas about how to do things. We all got an opinion. It's, an, it's the adult thing, right? Yes. Not a blame thing. How do you now manage those people and help them to work towards that common goal is what I talk about in here. And as the leader, allow them voice, allow every member of the team voice as part of that process. Because if I walk into a group and say, here's what we're doing and here's what we're doing and now get it done. Okay. That that really doesn't work. I have no buy-in. I have no, I have no buy-in in there. I didn't contribute to this conversation. So why would I even bother? Right? So the level of work I'm going to give you is going to be minimal. I'm going to get whatever you ask me to do because I'm a good worker, right? I'm a good worker. And a big part of the team piece, and this is where as the leader, you come in, you have some dysfunctional team members over and over and over again. They are, they're essential to every team. Okay. Essential to every team. They keep you on your P's and Q's. They keep you, they keep you on your toes, Judith. And as the leader though, you are the one who has the ability to be God, good cop on, on one day, bad cop on another day, because another part of it, you have to make sure that the rest of the team members can see how you're supporting the work, how you're supporting them, how you're nipping certain things in the bud and doing it with respect. You know, we say this all the time, allow people to walk out of the room with their grace and their dignity intact, right? And you'd be surprised, just like your example you just gave. She asked you, efficiency or attitude? Guess what? All right, Judith, I get it. I know attitude is hard for you, but I tell you what, get the job done. But in that very moment, you know what you did, Judith? You respected her as the leader. And you say, you know what? Just for her, I'm going to try to see if I can fix my attitude a little Mm -hmm. bit. I talk about in the book that if somebody ever, never walks out of a room and says, Jeanette, Ms. Grant, Dr. Grant, whatever you want to call me, I'll do it just for you. That's a problem. Which brings me to (laughs) leadership today, building (laughs) A fan base. So, <laughs> yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because no, we're not going to get political, but we're going to get political. We're not going to right. call any names, but we're not right. going to call any names. Can't call them red and blue. We can't say red and blue. We don't call them. We can't say red and blue. Let's call them. Let's call them rice and peas. And peas. And peas. And peas. <laughs> Knowing what color peas is and what color rice is. There you go. All right. But building a fan base. Back in the day. It didn't matter whether you liked me as a leader. Did not matter. I was right. your leader, and this is what I say. But today, in this dispensation, that's my word that I have been using. Right. This dispensation is now my buzzword. It um, was- yeah. 
it does matter. You need a fan base. And when you look at what is happening in America, when you mm-hmm. look at what happened in Jamaica, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. elections, how much of that you think has to do with building the fan base and how much of building that fan base is because of social media and the, the, the era that we're living in? Judith, you're not, you're not, you're not incorrect when you said dispensation, right? You could not have put it any better. So our current, uh, uh, where, rice, right? Rice <laughs> Has, has a job cut out for him. And again, this is not about which side of the aisle you're sitting on. It really isn't. Because regardless of who won, the leader would have the same task, right? right. And look at the results. You see, we're, we're pretty much split down the middle. Yes. How do you bring those people on board and help them understand that I really still do have your true interest at heart is really what it comes down to, right? right? Judith? We do listening tours a lot on lower levels of the organization, you know, in schools and in businesses and you right. go in as a new leader. You do. I don't know that I've ever heard of a listening tour at the presidential level, right? Because sometimes these people just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize that, Judith, we are who we are because of our upbringing, what we were taught, what our parents passed down to us. And a lot of folks, they don't even know whether, they don't even know why they picked rice or peas, right? right? But it's important that as the leader, you are starting to help understand what drives these, whether you're rice or peas, what drives you? What is it that motivates you? And how can I meet you where you are and take you to where I need you to be, right? And I talk about it in the book. It's not about conforming to the opposition. It's very important. It's a fine line. And a lot of people think that the only way to get buy-in from people is to go in and to take their version of the story and run with it. Their version may not align with the big vision or the big mission, right? And their version may not be healthy for anybody but themselves. But if you just allow folks to share with you what it is that you really need to hear, what is it that drives them? Why is it they have such an opposition against rice when they're peas? And why do they have such an opposition against peas when they're rice? And, I can and answer that one. But go ahead. Judith? But you have to you have to be the one to bring it together because you're, you, we're not presidents of peas or rice. We're presidents, period, of rice and peas and peas, right? With all the coconut milk in between, mm-hmm. because and the pine and the skellion and the all of the coconut, coconut pepper and everything inside there. That's what unorthodox leadership is all about, Judith. Because we tend to think that everything is black and white, rice and peas, and we don't understand that there's. All, there are all these other things and all these other factors that we have to consider. So it is a it is it's a difficult task. I'll be the first to tell you, leadership is hard. And anybody who tells you leadership is not hard, they ha- they're not really leading. They're really not leading and they're not doing a good job, right? Leadership is difficult, but we really have to get to the heart of the people. We have to think about how we can bridge those gaps and we have to look at those practical things. I talk about wins in the book, okay. the small wins, right? Mm-hmm. And making those small wins visible. You got to make them visible because if on my team, I have a non-believer, a fighter, uh, you know, the dysfunctional one is going to go against the grain of everything that I do. You know what my job is to get you. First of all, I'm going to, I'm going to get you to take the win out there for me too. I talk about it. Use your, use your, I don't want to call them enemies, but use your opposition, use your 
position in ways that can further your message. Let them be your mouthpiece. Because if people respect those pe- those folks and they see, oh, well, okay, well, Judith yesterday was fighting Shurnet like crazy, but all of a sudden Judith is waving the banner for Shurnet. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I, I don't like Shurnet, but I, I like Judith. So let me listen to what Judith has to say. It's it's a task in of itself. And it's a, it's a, it's a really grave one, but it's one that can be done. Yes, but in... And I'm, I'm hearing you and I agree with you. But then what do we, let me play, um, I don't like the term devil's advocate because I'd never play that. Let me play <laughs> opposition advocate. Um, right. <laughs> let me play opposition advocate. So what do we say about the Jamaican situation now where, you know, we, we like to talk about people being wagonists because Shurnet is on top. We're wagonists. We, we don't necessarily believe, but, That's you know, we want to be with the winner. Or the people who, one of the candidates in the recent PNP, Election mm-hmm. in Jamaica was being lambasted because at some point in life, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. that candidate had batted for the other team. Mm-hmm. And there were people on the team who could just not see past that at all. The fact that it came up was just totally, you know, surprising to most of right. That's right. something, yes, 20 years ago you were on team A. Now you're on team B. Why can't you be forgiven for being on team B? What do we say to those people who say, well, you know what? She was always on team A and she's not a true team B. A true team B, right? And it's something you said. Some of us didn't even realize that that was the case at one point. As leaders, you better know what your, 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 your barriers are going to be before you get to the game, right? Walk into the game armed. And I find that people will be very forgiving when, first of all, you're the one admitting it, right? You need to know the game you're playing. Yeah. And when you walk up and you're able to say, listen, I know back in the day, here's where I was. Here's why. Here's why. But let me tell you why I'm where I am now. And here are the reasons why. When that comes from your mouth, Judith, and this is a part of the unorthodox approach to leadership, you got to know the game. You have to know the players in the game. You have to know what the end game is. And you have to understand that you have to step back sometimes into the past to be able to move forward. So it's about, again, another approach kind of an issue. And I think that maybe we would have had more success if we were the ones, people always call me, they call me transparent, Judith. I am too. I'm very transparent. So, and, and, if, and if you're not transparent, you can't be an unorthodox leader. Because if you're not ready to say, I was wrong, I messed up, I made some decisions and here's why, but here's where I am now. Here's how I've grown. Here's where we're moving to. And get to the heart of the people. Because if you really put some work into getting to the heart of the people, and guess what? Getting to the heart of the people is not getting on bandwagons and getting on, on, on buses and vans and driving through neighborhoods with flags, right? Right. You need to start having some serious conversation. How do you get to grassroots conversation? How do you visit people? As a leader in a school, I was going to churches, Judith. I was going to churches. Churches, I would go every quarter and stand on the pulpit and greet the congregation and tell them, say, listen, I need your help because those kids that I'm dealing with over there, they have, they have lost their dog on mind. And if there's <laughs> anything that I need you to do when you see my children acting ridiculous, is to be able to tell them, don't make me call Miss Grant. If you make me call Miss Grant, we're going to have a problem. That that is that is your Jamaica upbringing, my girl. That is and especially, you know, you come from country, you know, so every, every shop lady have authority okay. over you. Everybody in the village, don't make me call Miss Smith. <laughs> don't make me call Miss Smith. And I think as leaders, we need to do more grassroots kind of outreach. Mm-hmm. Because as you do so, number one, you, you get to the heart of the people. 
And, you know, we, again, we can all call ourselves whatever, you know, theoretical leadership, whatever we want to call ourselves. But at the heart of who we are is who we, who we are with people and right. who people see us deep down. And when you have that one-on-one conversation with somebody or that group of people or those, you know, that, that group of individuals who for the first time ever connected with you in a different way. Yeah. It's a lot of work, you know. It's, it's not, a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of commitment. And um, a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of commitment, but it pays off. It really pays off. And when the people that you're leading see that, this is the other thing that I I, I love about being an unorthodox leader, is exactly. that there's nothing that I ask people who I'm leading to do that I would not do. Do yourself. So if we're packing up chairs after an event, we're all packing up chairs. Packing up chairs together. I have no problem serving you food. Right. I don't right. need to sit down and be served food because I'm in charge. Correct. No. You don't know how many times my people kick me out of places. Yeah. Miss Gary, you're answering phones today? Wait, what? Phones better than me? You're mopping our cafeteria? Mop better than me? Yeah. I, Judith, I, you're absolutely I right. They have to see you in their light. And yeah. if you're not ready to get down there and get dirty with them, you're not going to make any inroads. You're not. That's, that's one of the, the pleasures that my husband and I get from serving with Jamaica Youth for Christ. Mm-hmm. Because there, as much as we're in leadership roles and the national director and all of that, when the time comes, everybody, we're just all volunteers. All volunteers. We're all just volunteers. Moving, all volunteers. Same thing forward, moving, right. walk forward. And right. I love that about just being able to just be just, just a leader. But right. lead, I call it leading from within. Right. You right. Know, I call it's it. It's not a title, Judith. You know, it's not a title. You know, I talk about it in the book. You never see anybody applying for jobs that says, you know, um, looking for a leader. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a title, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, an, it's an action word. <laughs> you <laughs> see what I'm saying? It absolutely is. So, and that's another thing. People think that you have to have a positional kind of a, you know, role to be considered a leader. And, and, and this book is so applicable across, you know, I would say leadership begins with yourself. And it, it doesn't matter what industry, what level of the organization you're at, all of these uh, um, tips, I call them tips, because like I said, it's, it, it pack, it's little but it's taller what you do. Yeah, man, it pack a punch, it pack a punch. It a punch, and it is applicable and relevant for anyone, no matter where you are. You know, one of the greatest um, feedback comments I got about this book was from somebody who said, this book actually is going to help me be a better employee yes. because, because she understood a little bit more from the leader perspective, what the leader is dealing with and going through that will help her be a better employee. That's a very good point, you know, because I teach, I do leadership classes for mm-hmm. Jamaica Youth for Christ. I facilitate the, the training arm. I no longer do much corporate anything. Right. But every year we graduate maybe 50 young people from our leadership classes. Mm-hmm. And that is a very important point because it's something that some of them have all have said. I honestly now understand why my manager is the way she is or why she would do certain things. I didn't get it before. And why if I become a manager, I may these very same things are things that I might be doing. Right. So it's it's a real eye-opening and educational and what I like about the book is that you know you could you could get a management or a leadership book that's you know 400 pages long and you know highlight 
go through it and highlight the stuff. But in this little book, because it's not 400 pages long, you can get the information, you know what's going on, and you can move ahead. Boy, Charlotte, I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately, I don't have all day. You don't have all day, right? Just like the book. We keep it short and simple, and I hope you get the message. <laughs> so just your final word, last piece of advice for young people who want to go into leadership. What do you have to tell them? I'm a perfect example of somebody who came from not knowing where she was going to ever be in life. Right. Mm -hmm. And I won't say I came from, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the poor story. Mm -mm. My three bedrooms was the best thing that happened to me with the nine of us in there in my life. Right. Taught me humility. It taught me how to be a servant. It taught me how to 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 serve first before you can lead. And with the young people, here's what I'm going to tell you. I didn't go into leadership just thinking, I want to be a leader someday, or I want to be in a principal, an assistant principal. No, 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 no. Here's my mantra. You do the very best job you can do in the role you are right this minute. This job is your resume and your interview for the next one. And many of the, the positions I've held in my professional career, Judith, I didn't plan for them. They just yeah. kind of, I evolved. I grew. Me too. I had mentors and people who saw in me even things I didn't see in myself. But because I was so committed, I always use the phrase, if I'm going to answer your phone, I'm going to be the best phone answerer you'll ever have. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's my outlook on life. And what you find is that it just, it's an automatic thing. People start to see the right. work you do. They start to value what you bring. And more so than anything else, I go back to the people. When you treat people well, when you, when, you, when you treat people well, no matter where you are in life, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing, whether in work, in person, on the street, treat people well. Right. And that is the perfect, perfect point. Yes, that's the perfect point on which to end this episode of Shelf Life. Shannon, thank you so very, very much for spending time with me today. I am sure our audience have learned a lot. and eyes have been opened. Thank you very much for being the unorthodox leader that you are and for teaching others how to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a great conversation with Dr. Shernet Grant and we'll see you again next week, same place, same time to see what else is on my shelf. Thank you, Shernet. What good. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. The video of this interview is available on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Visit my website at jfallonreed.com and you can download your copy of my free audiobook, Time and Seasons. And remember to subscribe to my other podcast, Exchanging Pain for Praise.